How do we participate in this world when it feels like it is killing our soul? Hey there, I'm Claire. I'm the founder of the Heroic Mama Revolution, a space for moms in active recovery who desire to find their purpose and give their gifts in greatest service to the world. If you want to feel inspired, love your life, and to leave a legacy you can be proud of, this is the place for you. Here we celebrate and honor the journey, the evolution, and the actualization of our heroic potential, from rock bottom to radiant exemplars of the best within ourselves. It's time for a revolution. Let's dive right in. Hey mamas, welcome back to the Heroic Mama Revolution. My name is Claire, and this is episode three. As I'm recording this episode, it is the beginning of September, and here in the United States, in September, it is National Suicide Awareness Month, as well as National Recovery Month. And I don't really think it's a coincidence that those two are together. In my opinion, suicide is an addiction on a spectrum, and for many of us, suicide is the final destination point of when the pain becomes too great and the substance that we have chosen to help us cope and numb through the challenges and struggles and pain no longer is serving us. It's no longer creating a safe bubble, but instead it becomes a part of the contributing to the pain that we experience and we don't see a path out. That the two are inextricably linked, particularly for women, where over 25% of women choose substances as their mode of suicide. Seeing all of the advertisements and the powerful stories that people are sharing on their social platforms and in organizations about bringing awareness to the causes of addiction and suicide and in the hope of preventing someone else from making those same decisions. It brings to mind a lot of my journey, of where I've begun and where I've come. And next month in October will mark my third year anniversary, soberversary. And the inspiration for today's podcast came from a recent conversation I had with a very dear friend where over a cup of coffee in the morning, we were talking about the pain I've been experiencing and struggling with in my life right now. That on a personal level, there is a lot of upheaval and change and big things happening that kind of just seem to snowball and at the same time that my personal life has felt like it's 
crumbling and falling apart. The world around us seems to be devolving into I'm not quite sure how to express what is truly what I see playing out on the public forums of in our political and health and social and economic and racial and educational and medical everything seems to be falling to bits and as an individual who feels things deeply, the overwhelming crush of emotions and pain has felt inescapable. And over coffee, my friend asked me, can you explain that, how that feels, how that feels in your body, but that, what does that mean to say that you feel like your soul is dying. Whether you want to call that the dark night of the soul or an awakening or a rebirth. Um, Could I share with her in words how that experience felt? And so I did my best to really communicate the feelings of that experience of how it feels like your chest is heavy and there's just this weight pressing down on it but it's not a comforting weight it's a weight that feels like it's tearing your chest apart but it doesn't let up it's just it's constant and your mind races and it's difficult to focus and is an agitation and an energy that just seems to course throughout your body where it's difficult to sit still and things like meditation and other self-care things like walks in nature and Epsom salt baths and essential oils just seem to touch the surface, but there's a knowingness in your core that you cannot continue to live this way. And it was later that evening that I saw her again across the garden and she's also in this season of lots of things happening as almost all of us are in this world. And She said to me, like, I don't know how you live this way and not want to drink. And that comment really sat with me because for a very long time, it was true for me as well. I didn't know how to live in this world and to feel the way that I feel and to be who I am without needing a glass of wine without needing distractions and something to numb myself because it always felt like too much. The pain was too much. The, this feeling of breaking apart and 
the uncertainty of the next of the future was too much to contemplate. And for me, that was a large piece of where my addiction came from was that there never seemed to be a break. It was always like, oh, if I can just make it through this, then it'll be okay. But as soon as you made it through one thing, there was five other things waiting and life just seemed to get harder, not easier. And and so today I really wanted to take this time together to share the mindset and belief shift that I needed to make and some of the practices and tools that I utilize now on both a proactive level and in that moment kind of crisis management. Um, When I get back to a place of feeling utter despair and overwhelm and my mind becomes frantic with thoughts of, I just need this pain to stop. That I really needed to learn that the goal of getting sober wasn't that I would live in utopia where I wouldn't feel pain and I wouldn't feel this way, but to rather embrace that an intrinsic part of who I am is somebody who feels deeply. And so I've needed to learn to accept that, that utopia in that, in the understanding of it, of no pain and no strife and no struggle, isn't my goal. My goal has shifted from creating the quote-unquote perfect pain-free life to instead cultivating my inner strength and faith and belief within myself that no matter what challenges will come my way, I am capable. I am strong. I am well-resourced and I am enough to handle anything and everything that will come. So that was the first belief that I really needed to work with. And the second one is probably one of the most powerful ones that has shifted my experience of life from being someone who had thoughts of suicide and suicidal ideation on what many would consider a frequent basis and to someone who now rarely does. And that shift was that I embraced the truth for me that this world as it exists is killing my soul. That belief holds true for me, but how I interpret it is different. And the first where I began was that The world was killing my soul because I was fundamentally flawed. I was broken. I was something wrong with me as an individual that made it impossible for me to live in this world, to show up and perform and to do the quote unquote normal things in this world. It was a very shame based way 
perspective of thinking. And it was really that core belief that there was, that I was the fundamental flaw predicated how I showed up in the world. And that when things got wrong, tough, and things, and I wasn't, didn't feel capable of handling them and showing up for that, whether that was schoolwork or a job or a difficult conversation or uh, you name it, right? And it was me that was wrong. And that really was the foundation which all of my suicidal ideation came from. That when you feel that you are the reason that the world is bad, that the world would be a better place if you weren't in it because you identify yourself as the problem, it's a vicious cycle and a trap that we fall back into and over and over and over again. And it becomes this self-reinforcing belief. And a belief is really just a thought. And a thought is simply a string of words. Where the power comes in is that when we think that thought over and over and over and over, we wire our brain to hold it as a belief, as a truth, as an absolute truth. And once our brain recognizes something as an absolute truth, it curates the information that it takes in and everything becomes information that enforces that belief. We no longer are unbiased in how we interpret our environment or the relationships that we engage in or what happens in our world. Everything goes through this filter of we are flawed. And the shift that I made with a lot of work was that it is true that the world as it exists today kills my soul. But I no longer believe that it is me that is flawed and instead I now question the systems in place, our societal conditioning, the generational stories that are passed down over and over and over again and recognizing that a belief is simply a thought that someone somewhere one time began to believe and then they believe that so absolutely they passed that down and they passed it down and they passed it down until it became everyone's accepted truth that this is just the way the world is and you either conform and show up or there's no space for you. There's no need for you. And it has been a source of empowerment to begin to write a new belief about myself and my role here within this world and that the fundamental flaws are no longer myself but perhaps it's time to question the systems within which we exist that our world perhaps might be better served to have people who deeply feel 
who can be visionaries and dreamers and creatives. And that perhaps the highest goal for ourselves shouldn't be conformity to survive, but to break free into actualization and to live our lives by thriving. Now the shift in belief was incredibly powerful, but there's still this push-pull of, yes, I can say that it's not me, it's these systems within our world, but we still have to participate in this world. We still have bills to pay and children to raise and all of the practical side of life to engage in. And for most of us, it's not possible to completely disengage and live in a yurt on Tumbuktu. And that's kind of when I start to feel that way that I just want to live on a yurt in Timbuktu. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a signal that I really have not been doing the proactive work to engage in the world in an intentional and meaningful way. And that if instead allowed the world to creep in and to set, to listen to those beliefs set by an external source again. Um, so for those of us that have to participate in this world, in some way and fashion. How do we do that and not feel crushed every day? How do we participate and engage and do so in such a way that we allow ourselves to truly be our unique self and to not give in to the pressures uh, to conform to societal standards. For women who are addicts in recovery, I think that this is of the utmost important and it is our number one job each and every day because every time that we make those compromises, whether they're small or large, we kill our soul a little bit and we can only do that for so long before it necessitates us turning to something to numb that pain of our soul dying. Whether that is that we turn back to a substance we were addicted to in the past or simply turn to a different addictive habit, whether that's a distraction through social media or TV or busyness, always being busy, 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 busy. Um, truly becoming the author of our own story and crafting a life in which we feel nourished and we engage in this world on our own terms is 
the most important work for ourselves, but it also is an incredible, an incredibly revolutionary act to rewrite a different story of womanhood and of motherhood for, for us to model for our children. And as many of us know, addiction and addictive style personalities really do run in families. The conditions for addiction are really set up within our childhoods and within our family units and dynamics. And to be an individual who is making the conscious decision to stop that generational pattern and to craft a life in different terms is the most beautiful and humbling and difficult work and gift that we can give ourselves and our families. Okay, so I want to share now a few of the more practical uh, tools and um, practices that I use and have found beneficial. And these aren't the end all be all. These are not everything that I have done or do, but they're a beginning and I hope a beginning um, to spark inspiration with you of if you're also in a space of struggling, of feeling that pain and wondering like, did is, is this why I work so hard to get sober, to feel this way every day? Um, is it possible to feel different? And what does that look like for me, for each of us to choose habits and rituals and tools that help us be who we are? Uh, so the first practice that I really have on a more, this is both a proactive tool that I use, and it also is um, a crisis management tool as well. And that is to fully disengage from the world. Um, I find it necessary for me to completely tune out, to shut off all of my technology, to not check email, social. I actually completely shut off my phone and I put it in a drawer and put all of my technology out of sight. And I just really allow myself the gift of space, space to breathe, space to only hear my own thoughts, only hear my own um, intuition and to be fully present with myself and with my loved ones. This started out as really a, only a crisis management tool. Like when I got to a space where I was spiraling bad, this would be my coping mechanism. It would be the closest that I could get to that yurt on Timbuktu is to fully disengage from this world. But each time that I did this, I recognized that my energy really shifted by the end of a weekend being 
disengaged from the world. I was feeling grounded. I was feeling hopeful. I was feeling well-balanced and optimistic again. And I also had an eagerness and a willingness to re-engage with the world and in the work that I feel called to do. So over time, I really shifted from I need to do this on a crisis management when I feel like I'm on the brink of absolute collapse and I'm almost, I'm feeling those strong cravings for a drink again to... I now do this almost every weekend and completely turn my phone off and just allow myself to to simply be. That is individuals who are highly sensitive, who feel the world and our emotions and the energies of people around us deeply the hustle and grind and go and produce and having our worth judged by what we create and the quality of what we create and allow the our worth to be determined by external forces is exhausting and it is depleting and it is demoralizing and while we're not able to fully disengage from this busy hustle, grind and go culture, creating spaces, whether that's a full weekend or maybe it's simply the evenings or a few hours every week, whatever feels the best and works for you, to simply allow ourselves to be and to reconnect in that our worth is not Contingent upon what we produce, our worth is inherent. Our heart beats, our lungs breathe, and so we have value and worth. And that what we create is a gift. It is a gift that we give to the world. And that it is possible for us to live in celebration of the simple act of creation versus this dependency on the opinions of others to value ourselves. The second tool that I use is a bit of an extension of that first one. And that is that while those weekends are very nourishing and healing for me personally, being in this world is often on a daily basis, overwhelming. And so my best days, when I feel my best, I utilize a practice that I call bookends. And this is uh, the AM and PM bookends. And that our mornings and evenings are where we have the most control. And in the middle, shit just tends to hit the fan, right? (laughs) And so... In the mornings being very intentional that I don't get up, I don't keep my phone by my bedside, I don't open my phone, don't check my emails or messages until at least an hour after I've gotten up. 
And in the evenings, very similar. I turn my phone off at least an hour, if not more, before I'm wanting to go to sleep and creating these buffers of the external world and my inner peace. Um, Having, I notice within myself that when I don't utilize these practices, I don't hold these strong boundaries around my AMs and PMs, it's very easy for that frantic energy to enter in at the beginning of the day and really set the tone where I seem to then have to be in crisis management mode throughout the day of taking breaks intentionally, which is always good, but it's not because those breaks are nourishing for me. It is because I am at a place where I'm getting too overworked. My anxiety is getting too high. I can't focus and I'm not doing the deep, meaningful, creative work that I want to do. And it often means that by the end of the day, when my son gets home from school, I'm, I'm burned out. I have no patience for the 16 million why questions that he has. I am much more curt. I'm not present. I'm physically there, but mentally and emotionally overdrawn and distant, which isn't what I want at all. And is a huge piece of my motivation to get sober was that I wasn't present. When I was in the midst of my addiction and in my spiral downwards, I was physically always present, but hardly ever emotionally or mentally fully present with my son. And so finding that How I begin and how I end my days is imperative for how the rest of the day flows. And that what I've learned through time is that how I end my day really informs how I begin my day. So if I'm really wanting to restart this practice, I've noticed that I've gone too long without utilizing it. I begin with the evening first. And then I find that the morning naturally flows and that energy and intention from the evening before really motivates and inspires me to continue that through the morning practice as well. The third practice I want to share today is movement. Once again, this is a practice that really began from a crisis perspective, that when I was in the midst of my postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety and then a little bit further down the road when I was first getting sober and I would feel those super strong, intense cravings. Um, It often felt that I was trapped by my mind and it wasn't possible for me to sit down and do breath work in a healing and nourishing way. When I attempted to do that, it simply seemed to let the monkeys in my mind go on steroids. And whatever I was fixating on, whether that was the craving of a drink or just escaping or just that my son needed to stop crying or whatever felt like the 
pain point. I was focusing on sitting still just made it that much worse and that much more intense. And so I started this practice of very short, intense bursts of movement in order to release the energy that was just coursing through my body and to be able to feel like I was dropping out of my head and into my body. Um, This was anything from 30 seconds of busting out some burpees or putting my son into my running stroller and going for a two mile run. It was less about exercise as a form of calorie management or getting my mom body back or my post mom body, um, whatever they're calling it these days, um, bouncing back. Um, And it was more just, I needed, it was almost like that pressure release valve. And this short, intense burst of activity was the ability to lift the top on that valve and let the pressure dissipate. And once I did that, I was able to then sit down and do the deep breath work and to connect back in and to do the regulation. But it was definitely a release of tension and energy first, then a connection was able to be made. After a time, I started to really enjoy how I felt, how I felt after the movement, how I felt in my body, the calmness that I would feel in my mind, and began to utilize movement more on a proactive basis. I got into training for Spartan obstacle course races and did workout programs to train for those races where each day I did some type of movement. And what I learned was that by moving my body each day, sometimes very intensely, sometimes just very gently, the proactive use of movement meant that I was getting to that crisis point where that pressure would just build and build and build less and less often. And I think for many of us women, there's a lot of performance and competitiveness and comparison around exercise and movement in our bodies. And to be able to shift our perspective, once again, from an external awareness of what this means to us and what our goal is, to seeing it as a nourishing activity that we choose for our inner well-being. And this exercise doesn't need to be, well, it's not exercise, it's movement. That difference between exercise we think of as like going to a gym and doing a cardio fit class or versus movement, which could be as simple as taking yourself for a walk out around the neighborhood or in nature or a yoga class or putting on some music and having like a fun dance party with yourself, with your kids, 
that there are so many opportunities to move our body and that for each of us, this can look very different. And it also allows us to engage with our body from a very intuitive place and to say today, what is the movement that I need for my physical, for my mental and for my spiritual well-being? Is today a day where I need, I've got a lot of tension. I can feel it building. So I'm gonna go and I'm gonna hit it hard today and just let that pressure release. Or is today a day where maybe I've started my cycle or I'm coming up on the start of my cycle um, and I need something more gentle and nourishing or gosh, life is just stressful and I need some fun. I need to play. I need to really just allow myself to be in childlike wonder and What does that look like? It is so, it has been so transformational for me as a former competitive athlete and then somebody who struggled with body dysmorphia and diet culture and stringency and all of that to really just simply allow myself to say, today, what is it that my body needs? What is it what my body wants? What is it that my body? spirit and mind need and want as well. And the final practice that I want to share in this podcast today is the importance of being intentional in curating our peer group. Uh, The famous Jim Rohn quote says, we are the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. And as someone who is in recovery and also a mother, it has been incredibly challenging to find an intersection of peers who align with the new choices that I make. But I have to say that the first time that I spoke up, with a friend. We were out for a walk and I had been struggling a lot with feeling lost and confused and I didn't really know who I was outside of being a mother and yet I didn't really feel completely fulfilled by being a mother either. That There was this piece of me, this integral part of my soul that was desiring expression and yet I didn't know how or what that looked like and the first time that I shared that inner strife and struggle with a friend of mine who was also a mom to young kids and when she looked to me and she said me too it was one of the most beautiful and nourishing and incredible moments of connection and also a validation. The knowingness that there are places where we belong. That in this world where it feels like we don't fit in anywhere, 
whether that's with career field or on the, the mothering groups or, you know, the mommy wine clubs and all of these different arenas where it feels like we don't belong and it's easier to simply isolate and be on our own. The opportunity to connect and to realize on this soul deep level that we are not the only ones and that there are places where each of us belongs and that it often takes an incredible amount of bravery and courage to be the first one to speak up and to say what's on our heart and instead of simply nodding and smiling and going along with the flow we say you know for me that's not my truth and this is and that the fear of that is that we face rejection we face being ostracized and not belonging to that group anymore and i have to challenge all of us to remember that if we have to quiet ourselves if we have to hide away a part of ourselves and our experience and our truth in order to belong to this group we were never meant to be there in the first place and that there is somebody else out there who feels the same way you do who maybe isn't in the same space that you are who isn't in a space to be the one to reach out and Maybe it's just one person. Maybe it's a whole community and a whole tribe of women who just needed someone to be brave enough to say their truth. As mothers who are former addicts in active recovery, that is an arena that is filled with an incredible amount of shame and stigma by the outside world. And... For many of us, when we don't have an opportunity to be in an environment and to have conversations with other individuals outside of ourselves to challenge the inner beliefs that we hold, that is the most dangerous space for us to be in because when we believe that we are flawed and that the world is a better place without us and we don't have a community where we feel safe to share our truth, that that is when mothers take their lives women take their lives and this is of such importance community and belonging but not because you are ashamed not because you hold part of yourself back but true belonging, where you are seen in all of your beauty and in all of your flaws and welcomed just the same. It has been a struggle for me to find these communities, these other moms who can truly understand and relate and not just to The moments when I was in my addiction and can have empathy for each other when we were in that season, but also the difficulties and challenges of getting sober while mothering 
our children. In a society that provides very little support for mothers in general, and even less for mothers in recovery. If you have also struggled to find this community, this space to gather and to build connection with other sober moms, I really want to invite you to come join me over at the Phoenix. I am so honored that this month, September, we are launching the Sober Moms Club. It's going to be the first Thursday of every month. Our first one this month is going to be on the 9th, so September 9th at 7 p.m. It is free. It is virtual, safe for all of us to gather together from wherever we are in the world. But it's a safe space for us to co-create together and to build those connections and learn how to be in relationship together, to hear each other, hold space for each other, and to support each other in learning to become the most radiant, authentic expressions of ourselves. This isn't a mom's group where we talk about parenting strategies or how to, how to not get our kids to have meltdowns or any of that. There are incredible resources out there for whichever parenting strategy we each choose. This is more of a group to gather to see ourselves as individuals beyond the specific roles that we play, that we gather together because of the unique challenges that we face as sober moms. But at its most important, we are women. And the stronger we are as women, the better, more grounded, more intentional, more authentic we show up in every role we play as mothers, as partners, as employees, as business owners, everything is better when we are our own true self. I hope these tips and strategies were helpful. As always, I invite you to reach out and connect with me over on Instagram at Heroic Mama Revolution. I will leave the link for the Phoenix Sober Moms Club in the description below. And I look forward to seeing you all or catching you all on the next episode.